We want to blame the defund the police movement. We want to blame politicians, the activists, the media for all of our woes. Meanwhile, the blame is sitting right next to you. Welcome to Courageous Leadership with Travis Yates, where leaders find the insights, advice, and encouragement they need to lead courageously. Welcome back to the Courageous Leadership Podcast. I'm here on the weekend in studio, just grinding away, and I had a few thoughts that I wanted to relay to you. By the way, if you have not heard our episode with Brian Serber, that we released last week. It was, a, it was our first roundtable, and man, you got to listen to that. I actually didn't remember a lot of it. We, we went back and forth on a lot of different topics, and I listened to it and played it, and I thought, man, that was good stuff. Brian really brought an angle to courageous leadership that, that I don't really think about very much. I'm, I bet you don't either. It's well worth the, the listen. I'm telling you, you need to check that out. And as I'm sitting here uh, in the office just doing a little work, catching up on a few things. Something really burdened my heart on what we're seeing in law enforcement today, and that is the blame game. We, I hear it all the time. There's not a week that doesn't go by where I don't read an article where some chief is talking about how these issues are happening because of the defund the police movement or uh, the media or the whatever is going. They just they, we're, we're blaming everybody. And it's not getting any better. Now, have you wondered about that, right? Think about this. We've been blaming other people. And by the way, a lot of these individuals have stopped. The media has kind of figured out, hey, we better lay off so much of this anti-police rhetoric. We're going bankrupt, although there's plenty of that out there for them. The politicians are certainly not defunding us anymore. They actually have refunded us with more money because, first off, they have a lot more money to spend because cops are leaving in droves. But second off, it doesn't help with the voting booth. So a lot of the rhetoric that we came from after 2020 has sort of died down, although, trust me, it's still percolating. It's still there. You still see the same old grifters out there trying to fleece different cities. But we continue to blame them because we don't want to take accountability for what we have done to this profession. It's ironic, isn't it? The very people that are blaming others aren't looking in the mirror what they have done to this profession. And I want to give you more of a global example of this. And every agency is different. Every community is different. And this does not mean there's not great police departments and great leaders. Of course there are. That's why the recruitment issue is a scam. They want you to think this is a nationwide recruiting problem in law enforcement. It's not. I know plenty of agencies that are turning people away. They have plenty of people working at their departments. Why? Because they're doing everything right when it comes to leadership. Oh, they're not even paying the most. They don't even have the most training. They don't have the, they're not the larger agencies where all the glory is or all the special assignments are, but people want to work with leaders. There's no secret to that. We're lying to ourselves if we don't acknowledge that. You certainly aren't looking at the research behind it. They've done research for years on this in the business community. They ask people, why do you stay at your job? In fact, there's one particular survey that surveys a million workers a year in the private industry. And they ask them, why do you stay? And number one, every year since the survey started, was pay. No, it wasn't. We want to think it is. No, no. Number one was leadership. 
in the form of support. My leaders support me doing my job. Where was pay? That's why I laughed so hard when all these agencies are bragging about their sign-on bonuses and the pay raises because they actually think that's going to solve a problem that they created. Because guess where that is in the survey year after year? It's either in fourth place or fifth place depending on what year you look at. Of course, pay and benefits are important, but it's not why people stay at jobs. And we fail to acknowledge this because we're not held accountable to the bottom dollar like a private industry. We would be bankrupt if we were private industry the way we're leading our agencies. And I want to kind of give you a, a global perspective of what I'm talking about. Of course, there's a lot of other small issues, but this is a global perspective. Many people are working in agencies that banned no-knock warrants. Now, no-knock warrants became, you know, people were all of a sudden surprised that law enforcement did no-knock warrants after the Breonna Taylor death. And that's been a constitutional practice for decades. And they're not done very often. You have to prove to a judge that it's a high-risk warrant, that evidence is liable to be destroyed, and that's when they're done. And they're usually done. Most policies dictate that tactical units have to do the no-knock warrants. They're much more dangerous to do. You're, doing, you're not doing them on Joe Doe citizen. You're doing them on legitimate bad people. Because that does exist. I know people don't want to make you think that that doesn't exist. That does exist. It's what law enforcement is for. And, of course, Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, we'll have some of the officers on this year in that incident is the epitome of a lie. Because Breonna Taylor did not die because of a no-knock warrant. Breonna Taylor, in fact, the officers, yes, they had a warrant signed by a judge to do a no-knock no -knock warrant, but they didn't execute a no-knock warrant. Third-party witnesses in the grand jury testified that they knocked and announced long before they entered the residence. So that's always the choice. Like, you can have a no-knock warrant signed. You don't have to execute the no-knock portion of the warrant. And by the way, let's not act like there wasn't a plethora of evidence on why that warrant was signed. See, cops don't just get to go knock doors in. We live in America. And in America, thank goodness, you have to prove the case to an independent judge to get a warrant. That's what they did. Now, they didn't execute the no-knock warrant, but when they entered the residence, a gentleman started firing a gun at them, shooting one officer. And they, of course, do what anybody would do, whether they were a police officer or not. They shot back. And he was using Breonna Taylor as a shield. She wasn't in her bed sleeping peacefully like the media told you and the lawyers told you. No. All the evidence and all the witnesses and even the guy shooting at cops said she was in the hallway with him. But see, our leaders let that lie go. We didn't challenge that lie, even though they knew it that night. We let that lie go to a national lie. And to this day, it hasn't been corrected nationally. And then when the politicians decided, here's how we correct this from happening in the future, we will ban no-knock warrants. Departments just went and did it. Many did, not all. Now, of course, it's still constitutionally valid, but any department or any state can pass a law to restrict it even further, which is what they did. So now, when you, when you serve a warrant that was previously for no-knock warrants, and I would say 1% to 5% of our warrants, probably close to, not very many warrants are done no-knock anyway, okay? I would say... We still do warrants on the same bad people, 
the same danger. So all that reform did was put officers' lives in danger. That's all it did. It's not going to prevent Breonna Taylor in the future from being shot and killed if someone's shooting at cops because cops are going to shoot back. The way to have stopped the Breonna Taylor death was to, hey, don't use the shield and shoot at cops. But we, we failed to correct the lie. And because we failed to correct the lie, we then took what was coming. We banned no-knock warrants. That's shameful, folks. Nobody else in leadership would ever let that happen. Do you think a CEO of Microsoft or Apple or anywhere would let a lie that big stand and then change company policy based on the lie? Of course not, because they're leading. I'll give you a couple that are even more silly. Our own national organizations for law enforcement that all have acronyms. I'm not going to name them. I probably should. I don't have a lot of respect for them. Because I've been in this profession three decades. I've been members of some of these organizations. I see what they are. They're corporate owned. They're out for the almighty dollar. So they're going to go along with the narrative because they don't want to threaten the dollars that come to them. And by the way, you all know this. No one's willing to say it. And so they are supposed to be to protect you, to, to, to be truth in the midst of falsehoods. They're supposed to be the, the level-headed group to give sound advice to our leaders. What did they do? When, when after George Floyd died and all of the talk was we needed to ban chokeholds, they recommended to the major city chiefs to ban chokeholds. How about LVNR, which you see every weekend in UFC? There'll be a fight, I think, tomorrow, which you see every day in a jiu-jitsu gym. They said, oh, we need to move LVNR to deadly force. Now, what's the definition of deadly force on the use of force continuum? If you've been in law enforcement a minute, you know. It's any type of action that has a great likelihood of severe injury or death. LVNR, to my knowledge, has killed nobody. Like I said, it is happening in jiu-jitsu gyms as I speak. It happens every weekend, and we applaud it. We, we want to see it. And every redneck out there, no offense to the rednecks because I can join you, are doing it in their backyard. But we go, yeah, let's move that to deadly force. That'll make everybody happy. And by the way, just like in Breonna Taylor that didn't die because of a no-knock warrant, George Floyd didn't die because of a chokehold, and George Floyd didn't die because of an LVNR. You don't have to believe me. Some of you, I don't expect you to believe me. You can go read the autopsy report. Isn't that funny? Nobody wants to see the real evidence. They just want to listen to the narrative. So if the Minneapolis Police Department had banned the chokehold and banned the LVNR before that day, would George Floyd still be alive? No. If the same actions would have occurred, no. Now, there could have been a lot of things that could have occurred that day to keep him alive. We will get with that when we talk to Liz Collin later on this year, who wrote the book called Their Lion, that will give you all the evidence that nobody wanted to tell you. But we all went with it because that was what the narrative was. So what does that do? First off, let's talk about chokeholds. The federal government just banned them. President Biden just banned them for federal law enforcement. The only reason he didn't do it nationwide is because we have this little thing called states' rights and he can't do it. But he did it in a way, he banned them for federal law enforcement and then said, if you local agencies, 
well, he didn't, the DOJ did, the passes out grants. If you local agencies do not adopt our use of force policy on this, we won't give you federal dollars. And all of our chiefs went, oh, okay, we'll adopt it because we need your federal dollars. So now you have cops going around with one less deadly force option. Yes, that's what choke codes are. Choke codes have always been a deadly force option. Think about that for a minute. You ban choke codes in your policy that was only a deadly force option and your officers get to a situation that requires deadly force, you've taken a tool out of the toolbox because you wanted to be politically correct, and now what's their only option? That's right, shoot somebody. And then we're back at square one with everybody screaming. Do you see how silly and ridiculous this is? This shouldn't even be up for debate, and we cave like the weak cowards we are. Now let's talk about LVNR. LVNR has always been a low to intermediate force. Most of you have been through the training. You know that yourselves. Everybody with a brain knows that. Every jiu-jitsu instructor, every, every scientist, everybody that knows about it knows that. We move that to deadly force, which essentially means it will rarely be used. So you've taken out of low to intermediate force as an option. Now, if you're in a situation that's low to intermediate force, which happens more often than we like, I believe the last data I saw, we use force in about 1% to 2% of all encounters. So, you know, out of millions and millions of encounters a year, this is happening. You've taken that out of the toolbox. So what's the next thing you have to do in low to intermediate force? Impact weapons, right? Slamming people on the ground, fist, wrestling. I mean, doing things that legitimately can hurt people where LVNR doesn't hurt them. I guess if you do anything incorrectly, it could hurt them. Like batons work well, not if you hit them in the head. That becomes deadly force. So you see what our leaders have done. So can you imagine being a cop on the street working for somebody like this? Where you know they're taking tools out of your toolbox. You don't want to use these tools, but man, when it comes time to it, you need to use it. They're more worried about being fired or being prosecuted or being out of policy than their life. Can you imagine that? And we wonder why people are leaving this job. It's a joke, folks. It really is. And it's just simply amazing to me as I think about it, of how weak we have become and how much things have changed. And by the way, what has this done for us? What what is the results of this? Has use of force gone down in American law enforcement? No, because violence is maintained high. Has shootings gone down? No, because violence against us remains high. It hasn't changed anything on what they said it supposedly would change. So it's, a, it's the scam. And the scam is working not because people are demanding it, like the defund police movement and the activists and all this. No, no. It's happening because we're doing it to ourselves. We are killing ourselves from the inside. And the cops know it. You see all you high-end leaders? I know from experience. Okay? I know from experience. I've been in 48 states, hundreds of police departments. I've talked to a lot of you. I had a guy call me just last night. How do you do it? Well, my phone numbers are on the website, travisyates.org. My phone number's right there. You can call me, ask me anything you want. You email me from there. You can go to Substack chat. You can, you can chat with me there. People call at me all the time. I hear from them all the time. I know that the men and women behind the badge are suffering. They're hurting. And it's not because of the media. It's because of leadership. You want to start fixing this profession? You better start leading. But people are unwilling to do it. They're too busy trying to pad their resume. 
trying to make themselves look good, the virtue signal and run and change policies. Leadership training is something else that I thought of today. And I've been doing, I've been in this training game for about 20 years. I didn't really set out to do that, but people started calling and wanted me to train them. And I just started doing it. I don't have some marketing plan or I don't have some big giant corporation running this thing. I've worked for some of those companies and I didn't like what I saw. And so I, I just do this when people ask me. In fact, I'll be in Arizona in about a month. If you want details on that, I'll have you a seat. It's two days are sold out. It's one day class. We're doing it twice. They're sold out. I'll get you a seat. I'll do everything I can to give you these resources. I'm not sitting here saying that you've got to come to my class to be a leader. No, that's ridiculous. But what we're doing now isn't working. Folks, I've been to pretty much any type of leadership, training, certification you can probably think of in 30 years. In fact, I I don't talk about this very often. Just yesterday... I defended my doctoral dissertation in strategic leadership just yesterday. I'm very glad it's over with. Four years of this. And you know what the truth is behind that doctorate degree? All these different schools I've been to, schools that took weeks and weeks and weeks, it's done nothing for our profession. Ah, we put a diploma on the wall. We get to put it on our LinkedIn page, which has become the new bumper sticker for a kid in the A Honor Roll Society, right? It's uh, everybody wants to brag about everything they're doing. It's not fixing this, folks. It's not fixing this profession. And if I sound passionate, it's because I am. We better start leading correctly. I call it courageous leadership. You call it whatever you want. Just lead. Choose courage. Do it. But we won't. Many of us won't. Because that's not good for the career. Somebody may get mad. Somebody may try to cancel us. I I just laugh. You know, I I kind of attribute it to when you've got that officer that's been a cop for five, six years, and he's bragging he's never had a complaint, which my first thought is you've never done police work because we do a job where people sometimes get upset and complain. So that's going to happen every once in a while. I'm not talking about legitimate complaints, but everybody gets complaints from people just because it's what people do. I mean, you don't matter where you work. You can work in retail and be the best retail salesman you can be. You're going to get a complaint once in a while. That's just the society we're in. And I love how these chiefs think they can walk around. And I pick on chiefs. We could talk about any rank, by the way. They just walk around thinking everyone's going to love them no matter what. Well, yeah, there's a way to do it. Be a coward. Cave into every silly little notion and idea you have. And when it comes to leadership training, we have built and embedded that into our training. I follow a lot of different There's not a lot of leadership trainers, but I follow a lot of ones, maybe some of them you've heard of. And listen, I'm not discounting there's not good training out there. There is. But you know what I see most of the time? Most of the time, not all the time. So don't say Yates is bagging on everybody. It's leadership one-on-one. It's feel-good stories. It's look at me. It's corporate. It's the same old stuff. I wanted to say another word, but my wife may listen to this, so I better not. And my Lord is certainly listening, so I better not. It's the same old junk over and over again, repackaged in a different way. And we're trying to make some money on it. Huh? Now, listen, I don't, I don't bat off anybody trying to make money. So stuff costs money. 
Okay, what I'm doing right now costs money. Uploading podcasts and having websites and all this stuff costs money. But it's not working. That's the gauge of success. And all I have to do to prove to you that all this leadership stuff isn't working is look at the state of law enforcement today. Look at the examples I just told you. The most basic premise of leadership, we fail. We let lies turn into policy. And we get behind them and brag. Folks, I'm never going to be wealthy teaching leadership or writing leadership books. And if you read my book, The Courageous Police Leader, you know exactly why. I can count on one hand how many chiefs or sheriff's conference I presented to. Why? They don't want to hear that. I can count on two hands and two feet how many chiefs or sheriffs have walked out of my class pissed off. Why? They don't want to hear it. But guess what? Maybe they need to hear it. I could easily, I could easily do a lot better if I walked into a room and I told them everything they wanted to hear. I told them how great they are. I told them how great, noble, and, and awesome we are. That sells, folks. And a lot of people are doing that. I had a guy call me a couple days ago. He says, I'm not going to say the department. He says, Travis, uh, great to talk to you. Our department's really rolling out a lot of leadership stuff. I'm really glad, but man, the stuff they're rolling out, the guy's not even a police officer. And it's just like this corporate leadership stuff, feel-good stuff. I, we got to have you down here. I said, I'm down, man. He goes, I don't know if I can get the chief to do it. I said, oh, you probably won't. <laughs> you probably won't. That's the problem we have. And folks, I'm not talking about me. If you don't want me to come, I'll find somebody else to come that will say what needs to be said. This isn't about some money thing or anything like that. Trust me. I gave up a long time ago trying to make money. I'm trying to change things. Most people trying to make money won't change anything. And the proof is what's happening right now. So we need to change everything we thought we knew about leadership. Folks, there's no shortage of leadership knowledge. But what about action? What about heart? What about doing what's right? That's what leadership is. And we talk a big game and we go to the classes and we get our certifications and we get our medals. We get our plaques. We hang them on the wall. We go to LinkedIn and brag about it. And everything stays the same. I am challenging you to get involved, to get in the game. I am pleading with you to be a part of making a difference, to join a tribe of courageous leaders that will give it all for the greater good. Now, there's something you need to know about that. You may not get that next police chief's job. You may not get that next rank. You may not be able to brag to all your friends about how great you are. But does that really matter? Folks, if that, that really is the problem here. I just saw this chief that literally is probably the worst chief I've ever seen in my life. I'm not going to tell you what state because you'll be able to you'll be able to know because this guy just just wrecked this department. He's he's back in the game. He's putting in for another another department, right? These chiefs just jump all over the place because he's he knows what to say. He knows what to do. He's all behind all this nonsense I told you earlier. That's why we do it. We're not doing it because we think it's the right thing to do. We don't do it because we don't think there's going to be another Breonna Taylor. We're doing it because we want to say we did it so we get that next big chief job. Nobody's going to badmouth us 
for doing this. Why? Because if people in your profession, in your department can't badmouth it or you'll fire them. And there's not many people like me that's calling people out on it. So you know you're pretty safe. So there's no risk in being weak. There's a lot of risk in being courageous. A lot. And we're going to be getting a lot of that later on. In fact, this week, we're going to roll out a podcast with Chief, Chief Mike Koval. He's former Chief Mike Koval because this man is a lion. You talk about courageous leadership epitomized. Someone that everyone should be striving to be. That's who Mike is. And I'm excited about it. And I'm fired up about it because I have hope. But I need a lot of Mike Kovals in a lot of departments. Why? Because your community needs you. This is not just about the people that behind the badge. Of course, I want them to work in a better environment. But our communities are completely being destroyed by this weakness. Stop blaming everyone else. There's plenty of blame to put there. But at the end of the day, it's your chiefs and sheriffs making these decisions. And they're making the decisions because they want to keep their job. They want everybody to like them. They want, it's insanity being played out right in front of us. Somebody asked me the other day, he said, Travis, uh, I get the impression there's a lot of people at your rank and above that don't like you. Well, I said, I'm sure along the way that's the case. He said, yeah, but it sure seems like a lot of the officers respect you. And I says, well, I, I do have a few people that come up to me, but you know, I, don't, I don't know necessarily about that. But I will tell you this. My goal in this career when I hang it up is if everybody above me hated me and everybody below me loved me, I did something right. And what if every leader had that, had that? What if every leader epitomized that? What if every leader wanted to lead to where those that were your followers respected that? You're not going to always make decisions that are popular. You're not always going to, you know, not, you're not going to be everybody's best friend, but people recognize leadership. That's why the greatest leaders you can think of had their enemies, had people that were their detractors. They had their battles. That's what made them great leaders. And, and it's amazing to me in this age of information where there's thousands of leadership books that roll out every year and, you know, 10 or 20 in law enforcement specifically, that we are this weak, that we don't understand our history. Folks, we stand on the shoulders of giants, giants in this profession, giant leaders that made us what we are. And my generation, unfortunately, we're destroying all of it. But here's the good news. We have a good, lot of good men and women behind the badge that are ready to follow. We just need more leaders. We have some, and I say, choose courage. Until next time, lead on and stay courageous. Thank you for listening to Courageous Leadership with Travis Yates. We invite you to join other courageous leaders at travisyates.org.